I'm Chris Motz, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, welcome back for another episode, folks. We are glad you are with us. It is beautiful out there in the North End, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where we are broadcasting from. Just a beautiful day. We had a great uh, great weekend out in the garden. I was just joking with uh, our dear Bishop uh, Donald DeGroote here in Sioux Falls this morning that you can tell that my wife and I are descended from German farmers because it's just like in our blood that we have to get out there and stick our hands in the dirt. We got our bees out in the garden, got the chicken coop all fixed up and uh, starting to get that garden in. So it's uh, it was just a beautiful, beautiful weekend. You know, speaking of these beautiful things, I got to give a shout out to Miss Ritter's beauty class at Gorman High School. My wife and I co-taught um, about a week and a half ago a, a segment on leisure, which is going to be the topic of our conversation today. And it was just a really engaging discussion with the kids. And at the end of the class, we, we were just like, we ran out of time. We were having so much fun and the kids were super engaged. And at the end of the class, I was very surprised because one of the kids said, you should do a podcast on this so we can, so we can learn more. And my first thought was um, being both uh, shocked, but honored that the, le- the, the beauty class is listening to faith and politics. And then my second thought immediately was, I know who I'm going to ask to come on and talk about leisure. I've got the leisure expert today. I'd like to welcome to the program, Dr. Michael Naughton, who is the director of the Center for Catholic Studies at the University of St. Thomas, where he holds a chair in Catholic studies and is a full professor in that department. Um, Prior to teaching that department, he was at the College of Business for over 20 years. He's the author, co-author, and co-editor of 12 books and monographs in over 60 articles. His most recent book is What We Hold in Trust, Rediscovering the Purpose of Catholic Higher Education 2021. It's a book I've got on my nightstand at home right now. He also serves on multiple boards, including as board chair for Real Precision Manufacturing, which has plants and offices in the U.S., Europe, and Asia. And he's on the board of trustees at the University of Mary and Catholic Elder Care. I'll also say that he is um, sort of a principal collaborator, coordinator for a document called The Vocation of the Business Leader, that's dating back to 2012, uh, published by the Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development. I love that document. It's something I've I've looked at and relied upon many times um, in my work, uh, previous work at the Catholic Conference, drafting um, statements and so forth. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, one of his other books, a 2019 book, Getting Work Right, Labor and Leisure in a Fragmented World. Dr. Naughton, welcome to the program. Thank you, Chris. Great to be here. Well, I'm just so grateful um, for you taking the time because this is a really exciting topic. I think this is a topic that there's just so much rip- richness that like, we can actually go so, so deep into. Um, and of course, your background uh, in business, it, I think maybe that's a good place to start. Can you help us understand um, what is the world of work and business um, having a job. What does this have to do um, with leisure? Why do we sort of hold these two things up together at the same time? Right. Yeah. So I guess uh, here's the thesis of the book, and I here's uh, the kind of direct way of answering the question: If we're going to get work right, we got to get leisure right. Mm. That's essentially the. And if you think about it, for most of the things in our lives, 
you know, for example, if you're going to, if you're going to get justice, right, you better know what mercy is. Mm. Uh, you know, there's, there's just a lot of terms that you need to know something else in order for it to make sense and work by itself has a way of disordering our lives and depending on who we are, but a lot of us are very busy. Yes. You could be a, you could be a, a, a parent, you could be in the professions, you could be a farmer, you could be, you know, everything. We say we're really busy and we have a lot of work to do. And actually often our self-importance is often equated with how busy we are. But that's a that's going to be a dead end street because work will eventually um, it will just simply make you bent over hmm. and it will make you exhausted and it will in a sense end in a, in a in a not in a really good place. This is why leisure is the is the complement. Now, by the way, let me be very clear: work is very very important. Yes, the Lord has given us a work to do. But he's also, if you go back to the book of Genesis, we are made not only to work, but we're also made to rest. Yes. And key within the Catholic tradition is this relationship between the contemplative life and the active life. Hmm. And for many of us, um, we, particularly in America, we're, you know, we're very, we're a very productive country. Yes. We're very pragmatic. We're very utilitarian. And there's a lot of great things in all that. Yes. But your strength is often your weakness. And sometimes we don't get the question of leisure. We don't think about it well, because what happens is then we look at it as amusements. Yes. We look at it as a way to veg out. We look at it as a way to escape reality. And that's not going to help you. That's going to, again, and end up in a bad place. So to get work right, we need to get leisure right, if I'm right. following the thesis. How do we get leisure right? What, what really is leisure? Because it seems that you've just drawn a distinction between something that truly is leisure and an amusement. Right. So um, maybe if I could define it real quickly, and then we'll kind of, sure. we need to unpack it. Uh, Joseph Pieper wrote a book called Leisure, the Basis of Culture. Um, let me, let me just give you a, sorry to just do a little bit more historical stuff here. Sure. So think, think about it. He writes this book in 1947 in Germany. Now, anybody, anybody ever out there will know 1947, Germany has been decimated. The Soviets on one side, the allies on the other. And you would say, okay, here's the philosopher sitting in his ivory tower. And he writes a book in 1947 in Germany called leisure, the basis of culture. Mm. The guy is just you know, he's out to lunch, like most philosophers are that people would often critique. And people knew that people, people would be critical of him. So in the first page of the book, he speaks about the idea that we are in a stage of rebuilding, but we have to know what we're rebuilding for. And he says, in order to know what we we're going to rebuild for, we need to understand what has been given to us. And there he talks about this idea of a defensive leisure. And, and if you think about it for another moment, what's on the what's on the gates of concentration camps? A phrase called Arbeit mag frei in German, which means work will set you free. Mm. That was the Nazi ideology. No, work will not set you free. Work will enslave you into an ideology, whether it's Nazism, communism, or to be quite frank, American capitalism or pragmatism. Yes. 
right? All that is why work by itself is not, and Pieper understood this so deeply. And so he defines leisure, not as the amusement as we were just talking about, but he says, it's an attitude of the mind, the condition of the soul to what? To receive the reality of the world. Yes. It's not about my doing. It's not about what I've achieved, but am I in a disposition to receive? And what are the ways that we receive? We receive the sacraments. We receive the word. We receive God in prayer, right? Lecto divina, silence, contemplation, the Lord's day. All of these things are an attempt for us to create this capacity to receive what God wants of us. And that's leisure. At the heart of leisure is an attitude of receptivity to the God's grace that tells us who we are, not what we think we are, but what we've been created to be. And that's hard for us as Americans, because I want to figure it out. I want to be in control. I want to achieve it. No, it has nothing to do with you, right? Yes. The only thing that you have to do is to receive it. And that takes humility, it takes submission, and it takes this kind of, to give time, that by the way, is not wasted time. We often think of these things as wasting time. No, 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 these, this is the most important time of our lives. Yes. I want to read something from the book because, you know, giving the this quotation from the concentration camp, there's there can be a critique, though. This isn't just some sort of foreign, harsh ideology. This is something that, that we need to be conscious of even here in America. Here's the quotation from the book. It's on consumerism. When work has been reduced to a job and rest or leisure to amusement, our vision of the world starts to gel under the banner of consumerism. By this lens, we grow more concerned about what we have and less concerned about what we become in having. When leisure is predominantly restricted to entertainment and consumption, it fails to provide the moral and spiritual resources necessary to offer a robust notion of the good. Shaped by this attenuated leisure, we settle in for a conventional and thin description of the good that has neither the capacity to inspire greatness nor the resources to overcome our impulses toward unending consumption. Wow, that's rich. As I was hearing your um, just description of this banner over the concentration camps that work will set you free, the first thing that came to mind, of course, was, no, truth. truth we know that truth will set us free. Right, exactly. And, and the work will set us free or we think consumption will set us free. Yes, and of course, we know that, you know, and it takes us a long time to figure this out, that everything that we consume will not satisfy. It's like the itch, you know, it feels good for a few, you know, the first time, but it, it doesn't satisfy. And yet we find ourselves falling into these consumption patterns um, that are simply deadly. And now, to be quite frank, we're hardwired into our screens um, of a of an un, of a kind of continual series of forms of consumption, I just I just watched in my class. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called the Social Dilemma. Mm. And it was on Netflix. A very interesting um, kind of documentary that is an attempt to, to describe what is going on in terms of te- technology companies, particularly like Facebook and Twitter and all these things. And what they point out is that 
the the screen which most of us are interfacing most of our lives with are attempting to keep us on those screens for as long as we can yes through an algorithm that's constantly feeding us things that we want to hear and this is for both left and right by the way because it's keeping on the screen and what do they do on the screen they keep feeding you commercials things for you to consume they don't know you we often don't know it but that's how it, that's how they make this is why technology companies are the richest companies in the history of humanity uh, they have been able to figure out a system uh, that we, that can connect to that which is why by the way for leisure uh, here's a little phrase for your listeners I would encourage them to kind of embed it become a techno sabbatarian techno sabbatarian give your device a break because if we don't give these devices a break, we'll never often get to true leisure. Now, there's a lot of good things coming in in leisure. I, I listen to Bishop Barron on Sundays. I listen to his homily. I love it. You know, it's a great homily to get. But I got to make sure that that device is. I don't go from Bishop Barron's homily to another hundred things afterwards. Yeah. And I've just eliminated Sunday morning because I listened to one good thing, and then I've gone to. I got to let it go. Yeah, we could talk more about technology, but I want to talk about, so this word Sabbatarian, techno-Sabbatarian, so Sabbath is what you're talking about. You're even relating it to Sunday morning. Earlier, you used this phrase, the Lord's Day. I'll have to, I got to tell you, doctor, the first time I read Leisure, the Basis of Culture, I was in law school. I think it was one of your colleagues in Catholic studies. I was serving mass for him at the law school. And so developed a friendship and he said, hey, you got to read this book. I read it. And this was the thing that really like changed my life. I, I can honestly say the Lord's Day uh, yep. and the Sabbath. Can you say more just about why the Sabbath, when we talk about leisure, the basis of culture, like what is the importance of the Sabbath and the Lord's Day in this understanding? Right. So I, I said my at the beginning, my thesis is if we don't get leisure right, we won't get work right. If we don't get Sunday right, we're not going to get Monday right. Mm. And so Sunday is actually the first day of the week, not the last day of the week. Yeah. Um, and the Lord's Day is this, um, first of all, it's in the Christian tradition, we draw out of the Jewish tradition, and the Sabbath is one of the big ten. It's a commandment. Now, we often don't look at it that way. Um, this is why we always have to look to the Jews. The Jews actually, they, they preserve the Sabbath. They often say, they often say the Jews preserve the Sabbath, but actually the Sabbath preserves the Jews. Yes. The same thing for Catholics, right? We preserve the Lord's Day, but actually the Lord's Day preserves us. Mm. Uh, it's one of the big ten, and I often say that we often we don't treat it that way. We often see it as kind of optional. Uh, it, think about it. What if he said that with the same way? If you thought that way about adultery. Yes. You know, honey, I tried it this week. It didn't quite work out, but I'll try it next week, right? Next week, you're not going to have a wife to, <laughs> to have the conversation. It's one of the big 10. Yeah. Because it's telling us about how we order our week. And it's not, the Lord's day is not the Lord's hour. Yes. It's the Lord's day. And we need to enter into that day in a different way than we enter into the other six days of the week. And we need to enter into it in silence. We need to enter into it in terms of certainly worship. 
in, in, in terms of letting the Lord speak to us in that. And every, by the way, every person of a different walk of life, um, Chris, you're much younger than I am, but you have kids. I have five kids. How old? The nine all the way down to brand new. There you go. I had five under 10. Yeah. It's crazy, right? <laughs> it is. I mean, first of all, you're always hoping on a Sunday morning, they're going to sleep later. So you can have some time to yourself. <laughs> right. Every, my state of life is much different than your state of life, but I know your state of life very well, but you try, you got to try to figure that out. And then what we've been able, and it took us a while to figure this out with our own children, but we had to try to figure out the Lord's day as a family. Yes. And, and as a family unit. And we had to, sometimes you have to make those compromises depending when they move in the teen years. But our kids began to know that that day was the Lord's day. It was the day, it was the first the Lord's day. And it was also a family day. And it was a day for the church. And, you know, we weren't going to watch TV. We weren't going to get on our phones. We weren't going to, you know, um, go shopping. We weren't going to actually even go play with our friends. Yeah. Uh, now, we did get into some of the play when they got a little older in the afternoon. And we sometimes had, you know, organized football games and we played with other people. But all of that was not so much that our kids went and did it, but our whole family went and did it. Yeah. And so organizing that day is hugely important. And by the way, I'm sure you know this. I think Christian Smith from Notre Dame has made this point over and over again. Who has the number one influence on children? Mom and dad. Yeah. So long as mom and dad are having influence. And the one way you can do that is have the major influence with your children is how you spend that Lord's Day together. Yeah. Yeah. Something that we started doing early in, in my marriage, I married 11 years this year, my wife had had this custom in her family of every Saturday night, kind of just entering into the Lord's day together. And at first I was like, well, oh, it's a little strange. You know, I've never heard of it. I've never done this before, but it's become a part of our family life that is set aside. And the kids just know that this is now we're, we're doing something special now. It's right. how, yeah. Yeah. And the more, and the earlier you can start these things, the better. Yeah. Uh, because it just becomes the expectation. But if you don't do things like this, um, the culture will eat you up. Yeah. It's going to eat up your relationships and it's going to eat up your children. And, and that's why you have to create, I, I don't like to call it a counterculture because it's actually the deepest form of culture. Yes. Culture comes from this word cultus. Cultus is what you worship at the heart. And this is why Pieper says leisure, the basis of culture at the, at the heart of the culture is worship. And at the heart of that worship is the Lord's day. Hmm. And, and when that is the foundation to a family, that family has a fighting chance in this culture. But it starts on that day. What? And I love what you just did to talk about it in terms of beginning on, on Saturday night. And that's a beautiful way to do it. You know, um, one of the things that I've been asked by other, other couples, young families, is every every family, you know, the church doesn't give us like a rule book for Sunday. Yeah, there are some rules. We got to go to mass and so forth. And there's some beautiful things in the catechism about, you know, refraining from um, shopping and, and so on and so forth. But some of these things, families, we just sort of need to sort through them and actually articulate uh, our own vision for our own uh, domestic church. Can you offer some insights on maybe some principles that families might um, bring to bear as they're sorting through this question in a way that is is relevant to their own family life, you know, which could vary with the ages of kids and so yeah. forth. 
Well, I think I think the church does need to reclaim Sunday. We got to figure out a way to reclaim it mm. uh, because I think we've somewhat lost it. Um, not everybody. Some people do it, but like exactly what your family's doing, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, I gave a talk to the um, all the priests of our archdiocese here in St. Paul, Minneapolis, on reclaiming Sunday, mm. and um, I, you know, I think they were they were convinced of its importance, and I think a lot of them are trying that this is this is this is a renewal. My wife actually uh, during COVID uh, did a um, uh, created a website called Reclaiming Sunday. Uh, if you did a search, you'll be able to find it. And 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 so you mentioned principles, which I think are right, but I also think practices. Yeah. To get going. And so my wife and my wife has been critical to this in our in our family, similar to what you just said, right? Y- your wife started something, and my wife has been really the kind of cornerstone to our Sunday practice. Now, as men, we have to be there with them to protect it. Yes. And when men don't do that, they fail as men. They fail as fathers and they fail as husbands. And I hate to be so bold there, but I think it's absolutely right. If if a woman is 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 doing that, that man has to be there to protect and to build it because if they're not there, it's it's an injustice it's an injustice to the family and certainly an injustice to the wife. And so one of the things you do on Saturdays, one of the things we do is my wife has a as a runner that we put on. So we take what's on the t- we take whatever's on the table off. Sometimes we'll have flowers or something like that, and we put a runner that goes all across the table. And liturgically, you know, during um, during you know Lent and Advent, we'll have purple. During Ad, you know other seasons, we'll have different uh, colors. And then we have a candle with which it's an oil lamp uh, that we got when we we're in Rome. You can just have a regular candle, and. When the Lord's Day begins, we light that and we keep it lit all day. Mm. So when the kids would see it, they know it's the Lord's Day. And sometimes we'd have a, a cross or a Bible or something else that would be on that table. So it was just a symbol that that practice, that's how we started. And then my wife, um, there's a few communities here that have taken the Lord's Day very seriously, Christ Redeemer and People of Praise. And they had a prayer that my wife took and she adapted it. She actually rewrote it. Um, that would fit what we would do. And so every morning on Sundays, we read that prayer together. And if the kids were there, the kids would we'd read it with them. So it was a way to ritualize yes. the beginning of the day. And, uh, and that could happen Saturday night or it could happen Sunday morning. Uh, Saturday nights have always been a little bit hectic for us. Uh, it, may, it was hard. And that's what you have to, have to do. You have to figure out what, what can fit for you. As you were saying, have the principles that this is the Lord's day for you. And then don't obsess if a practice doesn't work, you know, see if you can redo it or, or readjust, um, you know, the practice, the, there's the form of it and there's the principle of it. Yes. And by the way, forms have, you know, some of our forms have fallen apart mm. you know? and then we have to renew ourselves. Yes. Um, but the key hard part of it is being having the spirit of renewal. I, you know, one thing that you did just a moment ago is you spoke pretty directly to men. I want to do that again. And man, I, I do this with some delicacy, but also with, uh, okay, I want to, let's provoke something here. Um, what if I really, really have my teams that I follow, uh, Dr. Naughton? 
Yeah. You know, how do I sort through this where it's like, you know, I really like this. Um, I, you know, I, it's just, it means a lot to me. Help me sort, help me sort through this. Right. Well, I'm a Bears fan, so they actually helped me and make it that I'm, that's not a good team. <laughs> if you have a really bad team, it's actually looks. I, I'm probably yeah. not a good uh, not a good candidate. Although they did win the Super Bowl in 1985, but that was before I had kids. Um, so having a team is great, you know. It's a but let's be really clear: it's a limited good. It's not an absolute good. Yes. And you, everyone, got to ask the question: What's my absolute? What's the core of leisure here, and what's on the periphery? And if your team's at the core, you got to, you know, let's face it, you know, I mean, uh, it may not be the best core. Yeah. Now, does that mean you can't watch your football game that's at your team? No. But how you do it. Um, and by the way, you know, if you got your team, fine. But, you know, if you're watching, you know, two or three games in a day, which which could let, you know, rank up to nine hours, um, you know, that's that's excessive. I would say. Yeah. Now, so you got a team, you like to watch it and, um, and you got to ask yourself some questions. If you're lucky and your wife loves it and your kids love it. Yeah, great. Watch the game, you know, but if you're sitting there with your beer watching it on your own yeah, and you got five kids, I think you got a problem, you know, and then you might say, well, that's the way I like to spend my leisure. Well, Again, it's not just your leisure. This is the Lord's day. This is not your day. It's the Lord's day. And football is on there and and it's a limited good. It's not a bad good. But you got to figure out in light of the commitments you've made to your wife. And if this is not causing tension with your wife, great. Yeah. If it is causing tension with your wife, your sacramental bond is with your wife, not with your football team. Right. And I will say, you know, I mean, I liked watching the Bears um, and I have actually even come to like the Vikings a little bit. I still <laughs> like the Bears better. But one of the things that when we were when the kids were little, um, uh, we started there was two other dads uh, who had boys and it started working out that we started playing football rather than watching it. Yes. And that was a blast. And then everybody joined in, you know, the girls, the guys, you know, we had everybody on the field and we had just a blast playing football. So, and again, it's better. So I, not to go off on all that, but that there's, there's other ways to spend it. And again, the team is a limited good, not an absolute good. Dr. Michael Naughton, this has been a delightful conversation. So grateful for you coming on the program today. It was a real great pleasure, Chris. Thank you. And thank you as always, dear listeners. I, Guys and gals out there, you're going to sit down with uh, your beloved spouse and you're going to say, what are we going to do differently next Sunday? Ask that question. If you're, if you're a kid too, maybe one of those teenagers that encouraged us to record this podcast, I want you to think about it too. Are video games really leisure? You know, it was a great uh, question that came up. Really think through it. Of course, um, the two books that we discussed were Getting Work Right, Labor and Leisure in a Fragmented World 2019, Dr. Michael Naughton and Leisure, the Basis of Culture, 1947, Joseph Pieper. Love to hear your feedback and comments. Love those show ideas. Don't hesitate to reach out. You can go to sdcatholicconference.org and click contact us. We love feedback. And today, today is Monday, the 16th of May. It was decision day. No decision from the Supreme Court on the Dobbs case yet, but we will be watching that weekly and, and looking to bring you the latest news and commentary on that decision. 
And of course, please keep in your prayers the next executive director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference. Hiring is in progress. Until next time, friends, live well.